Everybody's talking about what happened at AEW Revolution, and we're going to talk about it next on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, let's start with the opening match. Eddie Kingston wins the big one against Chris Jericho, and what I think a lot of people are saying was a pleasantly surprising good opening match between these two guys. Eddie Kingston comes right out of the gate, beats the crap out of Jericho, uh, lands a couple suplexes on him, works the neck the entire match. Jericho eventually gets a code breaker on Kingston, works the eye there too. Kingston eventually gets the submission there. You think Jericho would give the respect to Kingston? Nope. Walks away. I thought this was a fantastic opening match. And dare I say, set the bar pretty high for the rest of the card. And I think was hard to meet, honestly. Yeah, I I had a feeling this was going to be the first match of the main card, mostly because, you know, obviously Eddie Kingston's been super over. Uh, Chris Jericho, he's been kind of on the the line of like, you know, is he a heel? Is he a face? Some Mm -hmm. people boo him. Some people cheer him. But the one thing you can say pretty confidently is people are going to be super into his entrance. So... You know, you you had that dynamic right from the get-go with Jericho. Good back and forth action. I thought this was probably the best that we've seen Jericho look in a long time, both physically, um, you know, because mm. he's gotten himself into a lot better shape yep. uh, and in the ring. Um, yep. This is Eddie Kingston's now third or fourth really good match uh, in terms of pay-per-view matches. Going back to his initial debut, like with uh, Cody Rhodes there, I mean, the guy just... When he needs to step up and deliver, it seems like he certainly does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go with this. I don't know where the ceiling for Eddie Kingston may be um, in terms of maybe a TNT ch- title championship or who knows if you know he ever ends up ch- challenging and winning the heavyweight championship. But um, at the very least, he's shown that he can go out there and hang with some of the top guys uh, in AEW. So yeah. I thought this was a really good match. It was a really good match. And as you pointed out, Kingston has had a streak of really good matches in singles competition on pay-per-views. You look at his match with Miro, and then he followed that up with you know the match that he had at full gear with CM Punk, and then mm-hmm. follows it up here with Jericho. And three matches, you can make the argument, was match of the night. Kingston has been on fire. You know, I think I agree with you. Something in the in some kind of championship has to be in the future for Eddie Kingston for 2022. I lean more towards TNT championship right now, but who's to say? He might go after that world championship. But speaking of championships, the next match was the first championship match of the night. It is the AEW Tag Team Championship. Jurassic Express holds off Red Dragon and the Young Bucks to retain the AEW tag team titles. And one thing, and I tweeted this out, one thing that I noticed was this match exposed one thing that is stupid about triple threat tag team matches. And that is having one illegal team in the match. Why is it when a triple threat match with three singles wrestlers, all three are competing? But when it's a tag team match, only two have a legal man and the third team has to tag in. And that story was actually told very well with you got Red Dragon and the Young Bucks kind of making it a four on two affair against the Jurassic Express. Eventually, they come at odds. Luchasaurus comes out and has a hot tag sequence that the crowd pop for. A lot of good spots. Uh, and I think even though there was a lot of, you know, things where people might say, oh, the refs weren't taking control of the match. I think in this case, it wasn't where 
guys were staying in the ring way too long or Rick Knox wasn't counting. I think actually they did a really good job in making sure that no one stayed in the ring too long and the spots didn't overstay their welcome. I thought this was a very good tag team match and Jurassic Express winning I thought was the right move as well. Yeah, that that was definitely the right move and that became more evident the further into the match you got because um, you know, even though Red Dragon's been presented as this team that is somewhat aligned with Adam Cole um, mm-hmm. and kind of going against the Young Bucks, which they kind of fur- furthered that storyline a little, a little bit with this match here. Yep. Um, I don't think people bought them as a as a threat to winning that match. Uh, the Young Bucks, I think, just the fact that they, you know, not too long ago were already the champions there. I I don't I just. I felt like the deeper into the match you went, you felt like Jurassic Express was going to win this match. That wasn't the, the feeling that I had going into the match. But last right. night, um, you know, one thing I will certainly say, Jungle Boy, he's going to be a star, I think. He is yeah. really good. Um, he Not only is he athletic, and, you know, I know he's not necessarily the strongest promo, but he's one of those guys where his in-ring work, much like Darby Allen. Uh, kind of makes up for anything he might lack on a charisma side. Not Darby might not be the best example, but just because mm-hmm. they're smaller guys uh, who can work really well in the right. ring, that's the comparison I'm trying to make. So, um, you know, overall, it's are there spots in this match that I really liked, and other spots that I didn't necessarily like? Yes, of course, that's just the nature of like an AW three way tag match. That's what you're going to get. Um, but overall, I thought it was a good match. I think the right team and it, uh, ended up going over too. Right. And I think one thing that needs to be pointed out, I know a lot of people are not fans of the young bucks and they're selling or storytelling in the ring, but I think they did a fantastic job in this match. And when they need to prove people wrong, they always find a way in these big matches to prove people wrong, how good they actually are at storytelling and selling when they need to be. And they did a fantastic job telling the story between them and Red Dragon and splitting that rift. And the tandem offense for everybody in this match was fantastic. Absolutely really good tag team match. And again, setting that bar pretty high for the rest of the night. I know a lot of people are saying, wow, after these two good matches, how the how the hell could the rest of the show follow up with that? But we go to the next match. You talk about high spots. It is the ladder match, the face of the Revolution ladder match, won by Wardlaw, which I'm pretty sure neither one of us picked. I went with Orange Cassidy. You went with Keith Lee. And this match, actually, I honestly felt like they were trying to focus this on let's showcase the big men because a, a little bit of criticism goes AEW's way that they don't know how to book big men. They don't know how to showcase big men. Here we have a match where pretty much, I would say at least two-thirds, if not more of this match, was given to the big guys. Wardlow, Keith Lee, and Powerhouse Hobbs. And by the way, Powerhouse Hobbs, he's definitely leaned out a little bit. And whatever weight he lost, Keith Lee fucking found. (laughs) Keith Lee did look very, very big last night. Uh, And not saying that he looked necessarily out of shape but i told you that like on his debut i felt like he looked a little bit bigger than he did in his wwe days um you know i i don't know i mean in his debut i think he had a tough time trying to do like a spot where he was trying to jump over the top rope (sighs) there's a certain point where you know big and menacing like andre the giant and depending on how you're going to work there's a line there i i don't know he's looking a little big right and i know he's not exactly 
the type that wants to be like Andre or, you know, the big show. Where exactly. Those, those guys that were big and used their size as dominance. He wants to be like more of the Vader or the Bam Bam Bigelow type where they were big, but they could still move in the ring. And speaking of Vader, congratulations on your induction to the Hall of Fame today as it was announced. Uh, going in, well-deserved. Frankie Stacchino should be inducting him. But anyway, let's get back to the match itself. I think despite the showcase being those three, I think everybody did have a chance to really shine. Ricky Starks had some moments. Orange Cassidy had some moments where I actually thought they were going to have him win this match and actually used some good psychology in this match. And if you had to pick anybody who had the best psychology in this match, it honestly was Orange Cassidy. You know, I know you're not going to like it, but you have to admit the psychology in this match was a little off, but Orange Cassidy actually played to the gimmick of the match. So, yeah, I'll give you that because that's one of the things I hated about this match was the psychology. And Jim Ross, I think he did his very best not to throw the guys under the under the bus, so to speak. But maybe when you say, you know, Orange Cassidy had the best psychology, it's only because the bar was set so low by some of the bigger guys. I mean, towards the tail end of the match, you obviously had Wardlow. Uh, you had powerhouse Hobbs and you had Keith Lee making their way up the ramp for what you think would be that, that ladder, which I don't know why you'd need that ladder. Cause there was a, at least one perfectly working uh, ladder that was still in the ring, right. That ladder inevitably got ripped in half anyway. Um, then they were all the way up by where the commentary section was. They got tackled through the table and all this stuff. And it's like, all right, guys, the main point of this is to stay at least in the vicinity of the ring, set up the ladder, climb the ladder and grab the, the Sonic coin or whatever you want to call it. So, <laughs> um, I, I like, again, I liked parts of the match. I was not overly impressed with a lot of it. I actually felt like, you know, having that many big men in it was counterproductive. Um, I felt like Wardlow winning was almost not counterproductive. I don't have a problem with him winning, but I just don't. What you're trying to do with Wardlow right now, I, it, what they're going to do, I think. And, I think it's inevitable and always has been is they're going to build up uh, Max and him, right? right they're going right. to start to build that. Yep. They didn't in order to accomplish that. What happened in the CM Punk match is exactly what we wanted to see happen. People have been waiting for this for a really long time. Did Wardlow need to win his match in order for that to happen? I don't think so. I don't really know what direction they're going to go with this. And I guess we can kind of play the wait and see game, but mm-hmm. in spite of him winning, I go back to Keith Lee, despite what we wanted to say about Keith Lee and and what type of shape he may or may not be in. You brought him in as this guy that was going to be, you know, this big signing. And he had that great debut. He's been off TV for three or four weeks. I know he competed on rampage. Yep. Um, and he lost and it's like, well, where are they going to go? Who is he going to feud with? If you're truly bringing him in and he's going to be this guy, that's going to make this big of a difference. I felt like he should have been to win this match. Uh, I wouldn't have had a problem with him and powerhouse Hobbs being the two big guys and then a bunch of other smaller guys. So that way you Mm -hmm. can highlight the strengths of these two guys, have them throw people around a couple crazy spots here and there. Everybody goes home happy. You could still work the Wardlow thing. You could still work Keith Lee being this crazy over guy and this big signing. Um, And I think that the fact that he lost kind of diminishes that a little bit. Um, Not to say that they can't build him back up, but I just, I don't know. I don't, I didn't see the need for Wardlow to win. I felt like Keith Lee should have been the guy to win this match. And overall, I thought the match was sloppy at times, illogical at, at times. And I, I don't know. I just couldn't get into it. 
Right. Well, I do think there are plans for Wardlow and MJF that I'll talk about when we get to the dog collar match. But before we get to that dog collar match, we had the TBS championship. Jade Cargill extends that winning streak to 29 and 0 as she retains that title against Ty Conti. It was not the five minute match that I said it should have been on the live prediction show that we did on Thursday night. But. You know, it was a, it was a match where Ty Conti, I felt like got a lot of offense where it showed where Jade was finally going to have a threat to lose the title. And that was the story being told in the match was that, hey, Ty Conti is the toughest, the toughest opponent Jade has had. And was it the best match? No, I think there were some chemistry issues. I think when they finally clicked, there were some good moments in this match. But I think the only real thing coming out of this was Jade dressing up like Jade from Mortal Kombat and starting the match with the kiss of death. Other than that, there's really not much to really talk about and say, wow, that was really a good match. I mean, Jade still yeah. gets the win, but did that really help Ty Conti stock? Did that really help Jade stock? I think for a pay-per-view match, it was, eh. This was one that probably could have been better served on Rampage or Dynamite. Yeah, and it's almost like, you know, I, I get it. Um, people people don't tune in to see Goldberg 2.0. But at the same time, I think that having these longer matches, you know, you run the risk of kind of exposing Jade's limitations. Um, from everything I've read, she's been training with Brian Danielson. People have actually right. been commenting that she's been getting better. But the longer she's in there with, um, you know, with whoever it may be, the greater the chances that she's going to mess up or look green or come across as being somebody that's not necessarily ready for the position or anything like that. So, you know, I, it's almost like I want to see them do with her, what they're doing with um, Serena Deeb with the whole five minute thing, because then, mm -hmm. you know, you, there's a limitation on the length of the match. Um, you, you look, you, you have Jade go out there, use all of her advantages, her size, her strength, look really good in a dominant fashion. Um, you know, it, it, again, it wasn't a great match. I agree with you on that. The one thing I will say about Jade is her um, her smack talk ability, her ability to talk shit, and her ability to be funny in certain situations. She is good at that because yes. when she was mocking Ty Conti for her karate background, I thought that was funny. And then uh, Smart Mark, when I think Ty Conti did like a, a moonsault or something, and she turned around, she's like, get your ass up. Like, just like <laughs> chastising him for being on the ground. Yep. Um, so... You know, she's good in that aspect. She certainly has charisma, but um, wasn't the best showing. Also wasn't the worst. So no, it was all right. Right. No, I totally agree. But let's talk about this dog collar match, Ralph. Yeah. Wardlow turns on MJF, helps CM Punk win the dog collar match. You know, my thing about this match was I thought it was good. I thought there was some great storytelling. And, you know, you have the fake out with, Cult of personality. People thought uh, Punk was coming out first, but it ends up being MJF. We've seen that fake out before with, with MJF before. Then CM Punk comes out and does throwbacks to his days at Ring of Honor. Now, yes. unless you know that for sure, you're not going to know that for sure. You kind of assume, but good thing, good call on Excalibur for actually pointing out that was his theme music when he was in Ring of Honor. Those were the type of shorts he wore when he was in Ring of Honor and had the same attire, stuff like that. So kudos to Excalibur for pointing that out because I think there were a lot of people that looked at that and went, 
what 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 music is this? Why is yeah. he dressed like this? But it it played to the story of you know when uh, CM Punk you know was an idol to MJF when he was in Ring of Honor, and then when he left the WWE, it all played to the story. And this match was all about the story, not so much the high spots. Yes, there was some violence, but nothing that I'm like, you know, I haven't seen before either. And I felt like at times the pace was a little too slow. Mm -hmm. I thought this was a really good match. For storytelling purposes, it's an A. For pacing, it's more like a eh, B minus, C plus, because it could have been faster and a little sense of urgency at times. But the thing that needed to happen and get the biggest pop did, and that was when Wardlow came out, forgot where the ring was, then obviously the GTS onto the thumbtacks, and there's the ring. CM Punk hits MJF with it. One, two, three. Punk wins, as I called it. Where do you think this goes now with Punk winning and MJF losing? I think this is going to be the conclusion of their feud, at least from what I what I think uh, we're going to get out of them. And that's mostly because we finally got the what we think is a face turn from Wardlow. Um, right. You know, I, and one of the things that people always talk about is what do people remember most? The end. Uh, right. The end of the match uh, with Wardlow coming out, costing MJF the match. I mean, I thought that was done perfectly. I thought just all the little things going into it. The, that, that was one of the moments throughout the night where the fans popped the loudest. Um, I thought Wardlow mm -hmm. played his everything from his mannerisms, the faces he was making, the subtle little way he kind of stared at the ring and him and him and CM Punk kind of looked at each other and he just left it there right on the edge of the, the apron for Punk to just say, yep, go ahead, go do what you got to do. Uh, I'm not helping this guy anymore. So mm -hmm. um, I thought all of that was really good. I think we're going to definitely see them transition into Wardlow and MJF, which I think is totally fine. Uh, because there's been a story that they've been building there for a couple of years now. Um, so I, I like all of that. I thought the match itself was actually, so this was the only match I ended up watching twice um, because okay. initially I felt the same way as you. I felt like it was a little slow, a little proddy at times, but when you think about this, the importance of this match or what they needed to portray was the brutality of the match. Um, this wasn't supposed to be a match that relied on high spots and flips and dives and all that type of crazy stuff. You needed this match to feel dirty and you needed to feel gritty. You needed to feel like it was in your face and you needed to feel like these two guys hated each other. Right. And after I watched it back, I definitely got the sense that this was exactly what I felt like it needed to be. The tone wasn't off. The physicality of the match wasn't off. Um, I think the very first time CM Punk got whipped with the chain, he had bruising on his back. Like you could legitimately see the marks. Mm -hmm. um, going back to Punk's entrance, I thought that that was a great little callback um, and, you know, full disclosure here, look, because conversely, on the other side of things, you are getting a, a certain pocket of fans who are chastising the other people who didn't know that that was his music from Ring of Honor. I mean, guys, let's be honest here. This isn't like we're talking about millions and millions of people that were watching either WWE or WCW back in the day. Ring of Honor had its following. And if you thought if you knew what that was, kudos to you. Um, right. But I don't think people should be putting each other down because, oh, how could you not know that was his ring of honor entrance? I do think that that was brilliant when you look back and consider the story that they were trying to tell uh, punk coming out with his old gear, punk coming out to his old music. And not only that, but what did Tony Khan just do? Not what was it a week ago? What, what big announcement did they just say that they bought ring of honor? 
So me as a fan who didn't necessarily know that that was his music, the first thing I did was I looked it up on YouTube and I downloaded it on iTunes and I have it on a playlist. The other thing now too, is you've now told the people, Hey, this was punk's entrance music in ring of honor. So when they have that tape library or when they upload it to wherever they're going to upload it, I guarantee you people are going to be like, Hey, you know what? I saw punk do this entrance. Maybe I can go back and watch some of his old stuff. So there's some genius in that too. Um, Bottom line, I thought this match was uh, definitely better the second time I watched it back. Um, probably my second favorite match of the night. Um, not just because of the action, but because of the ending. So I liked it. Yeah. I mean, it was a good match, but maybe I, I have to, you know, follow your lead and watch it again to really get the pacing. Because to me, they definitely were selling the injuries and I understand why the pace was slower. I just felt like it might've got a little too slow at times, but maybe yeah. if I watch it back, maybe it's not as slow as I thought. Also, it could have just been that it was close to 10 o'clock. I'm not used to staying yeah. awake at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so I, that might've been part of it too. But anyway, the next match was Britt Baker retaining the AEW women's championship with the help of her friends, Rebel and Jamie Hayter against Thunder Rosa. Good match. But again, just like Jade and Ty, what did this really do? At least with this one, you you know there's at least some kind of story going afterwards where because of this, now Thunder Rosa and Layla Hirsch will have a match this coming Wednesday on Dynamite. The winner faces Britt Baker in San Antonio. Hmm, I wonder who's winning that match. <laughs> well, first of all, Layla Hirsch had a really good match, I felt like. I yeah, felt like she did. That was, uh, she Looked really good in her match in the buy-in. If you didn't take the time to go and watch that, watch it. It's probably like a good 10-minute match, but it was good. She looked good. Yep. Um, so anyway, I felt like they were put in a really tough position here. I mean, we all know what happened their first or second, how whatever number match that was when they had their no-holds-barred match. Um, yep. It was voted match of the year. Now you're put in a position where you're expected to top that. You want lightning to strike twice. And especially in wrestling, when you go from something that's viewed as maybe more severe, like yeah. going backwards to like a regular match, it's kind of like, all right, well, how are we going to top that? Right. It's going to be really difficult. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was an okay match. They worked hard. They had certain moments and spots. There was obvious outside interference. Um, because I know they're capable of better because we've seen it. Right. I wasn't like, I didn't come away from this. Like, Oh, wow. That was great. I was just like, Eh, that was okay. Right. And of course the excess amount of interference, which again, kind of plays the story. And I think I mean, some people are making the speculation that if Thunder Rosa wins on Wednesday, they're going to make it a steel cage match at the St. Patrick's slam. That way, you know, you can't get the outside interference and Thunder Rosa will win the title in her hometown. So that could possibly happen, and you know, having it the almost a year to the day of their match that happened, uh, the lights out match, so it, it kind of goes full circle kind of thing. But I'm with you. I think they're put in a tough spot following the dog collar match, following their match of the year, and especially when it's a basic wrestling match. How do you top it? Yeah. You don't. You just basically do something to kind of spread the storyline further or do something where someone clearly wins. So they did the former, not the latter. But something big happened in the next match, Ralph. We had John Moxley, who snuck a win over Daniel uh, Brian Danielson, 
And I'll, I have to check the tape, but it looked like Danielson's shoulder was up. So it shouldn't even been a win for Moxley. But nonetheless, Moxley wins in a very physical match between the two. Yeah. Both of them are bloodied. After the match, uh, Danielson gets pissed off, goes after Bryce Ramsburg. They're, you know, pushing back and forth. Moxley then attacks Danielson. They go back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the shocking debut of William Regal. He's in their face. He's slapping them like he's a head coach of a football team. Loved like it. this was awesome. And if this is where, you know, these guys are going to team together and he's going to manage them or they're going to take a stable. And this is kind of building the ring of honor developmental roster. I am all for it. Oxley, Danielson, Regal. Oh my sign me up. Damn it. Yeah. And anybody who knows anything about William Regal's past knows that he is supposedly a legitimate badass, which is why I love the fact that he came out even at his age, you know, and confronted both these guys, got in their face, slapped them in their face, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, rubbed it. Uh, put his face literally in Moxley's face as Moxley's bleeding all over the place. So I, I thought it was perfect. Um, was. He got a great reaction, uh, which mm-hmm. is awesome to see. Um, and the one thing that I will say about this match, which this was my favorite match of the night, um, hands yep. down. A lot of times when I watch, you know, wrestling today, I feel like, you know, they're just kind of going from move to move or spot to spot. And they don't necessarily try to, convince you that this is some type of competition between the two right out of the gate, whether it was a headlock, whether it was a wrist lock, whether it was Brian Danielson, uh, kicking, um, Moxley or Moxley, like it was a hundred miles per hour. Mm-hmm. This was Walter Dragunov, maybe not to that extent, but they were not trying to lead anybody to believe that this was like a choreographed thing that, you know, Hey, we're out here to have a, stage simulated fight like where we're going to make this seem as real as possible and those are the matches that i love most whether it's brian danielson who's maybe all of like 200 pounds in comparison to moxley who's probably like 230 or something i think so yeah it was it was as convincing as it could be brian danielson throws better body kicks than or more convincing body kicks than almost anybody in wrestling that i've seen um i love this match i thought it was great i thought it was exactly what it needed to be um, and I'm just happy that they went out there and were able to deliver, uh, because they had, they, I think there was a high expectation set for this match. So I thought it was, def- it was very good. Yeah, there definitely was. And they delivered, they delivered on the blood. They delivered on the physicality, the violence. They did everything they needed to do within the rules of professional right. wrestling. Right. And that's basically what they were telling you throughout this whole story that Brian Danielson is here to change AEW because he's sick and tired of the dinosaur masks and the guys doing all these choreographed spots and guys that should be showcased more that are not because they're dealing with goofball tag teams, you know, and Moxley has been nothing but unscripted violence since he came to AEW and they showed you that in this match. Great match. Obviously, I mean, to me, hands down match of the night. I mean, the only one that came... The only one that came anywhere close to me was Jericho and Kingston, but we did have some fun, entertaining spot festness in the next match. Darby Allen, Sting, and Sammy Guevara win the Demolition Derby six-man tag against Andrade, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy. You talk about, you know, spot, 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 spot without letting, you know, anything breathe or whatever. This match definitely did it, but knowing, you know, you weren't going to get 
a five-star classic, knowing that it was a tornado tag, you kind of have to kind of just throw it on the wayside for this match and just go, let's see what the hell they're going to do. And you see Sammy Guevara doing the Spanish fly off the stage. You see Sting trying to jump off the, the rafters, basically, through three tables. And... You know, Darby Allen doing a suicide dive to a, uh, I think it was Matt Hardy in a trash can. Just what le- at what level do they just say, all right, enough's enough. Like, let's end this match. And then of all things to have this kind of go, eh, Darby Allen misses the coffin drop in the freaking finish. Yeah. But it was still a fun match to watch. Yeah, that's exactly the word I would use to describe this match. Was it a classic? No. Did it have some cool moments? Absolutely. I mean, Sting being 60 years old or however old he is, jumping off a balcony. Yep. Never thought I'd see this in this match. The Spanish fly spot was pretty scary because it looked like they hit pretty hard. Um, You know, so as long as you didn't have your expectations set too high for this, I thought this was fine. Right. Considering that you didn't even want to talk about it on our prediction show, I I think it over over delivered any expectations so uh we do know you know sammy guevara is the tnt champion and we know that he'll be facing scorpio sky for the tnt championship and then wardlow will face the winner of that match so i'll say mjf versus wardlow at double or nothing for the tnt championship that's what's going to happen that's how i see it going but main event time AEW championship hangman page wins the battle of the atoms and retains the AEW World Championship against Adam Cole. This was a good match. Obviously, them knowing each other for such a long time, you knew the story going in was they're going to know what each other's move is going, what each other is going to be doing in the ring. And they did it so well with the reversals and backing out of moves and, you know, doing the super kicks and the perfect timing of stuff. Yes, Red Dragon got involved. Yes, the Dark Order got involved, but... I don't think it took away from the match too much. And the one thing that I love about this match, I ended up winning $5 thanks to the DraftKings pool where you had to guess the different things that could happen in this match. I got seven out of eight right. The one thing I didn't get right was that there would be a table broken in this match, which there was as Hangman Page uh, did the dead eye onto Adam Cole. But they did a, I thought they were very good. Very few botches in this match, and the right guy, I think, won. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was a good match. Um, up, Honestly, I was really into this match until the interference, and I was just kind of, like, taken out of it a little bit. Um, I also felt like one of two things. One, I don't, I don't know if the crowd was burnt out. I also don't know if I'm the only one who noticed this, but it seemed like the crowd was just kind of, like, barely hanging on at the end there. Like it very hard to get them to react to much, um, which to me, I think the crowd definitely uh, is a big factor uh, because, you know, obviously with all the near falls, which there were a lot in this match, those are effective are more effective when you have the fans that are going to react like the one, two, and then you're like on the edge of your seat here, you know, they're so upset or disgruntled that it wasn't a three count, you know, and, and some of the best matches had that. Um, so I don't know if it was a matter of them not miking the arena well, or if the fans truly were burnt out, which I don't blame them because there were a lot of good matches and it was mm. a long night. Yep. Um, the match itself I thought was fine. I could have definitely done without the interference. Um, but this was, this was a good solid match between the two. 
Right. And I got to give, you know, tip of the cap to Excalibur again. There was one spot in this match where you talk about all the count, uh, kickouts. Adam Page, Hangman Page, kicks out of the, I guess they're calling it the boom in yeah. AEW, the last shot that it was in NXT. And he points out, you know, usually Cole takes down the knee cap, knee um, cover before he does that move. But because he had the sense of urgency and didn't want to lose momentum, he just went with it. And that's probably why Page kicked out. Stuff like that, that really helps. And I think commentators today don't do that enough that it could just take a match from like a three and a half or four star match to a five star match. It really can. Commentary is so important. And I got to say, I think for the most part, the commentary pointed out things that needed to be pointed out when it needed to be. And even though I'm not a fan of Excalibur's delivery, I think it still feels uh, unnatural at times. He was spot on on explaining certain things where they needed to be explained. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I thought I definitely, well, first of all, I, I definitely know the exact part in the match with the knee pad that you're talking about. I felt like um, when I think of Jim Ross's, to me, Jim Ross is still the the greatest to ever do it. Yep. Um, of the three that were, were on commentary last night, I still feel like he's the strongest when he's yep. on. Um, I felt like he's another one that was a little burnt out by the end of the night because I distinctly remember, I think it was the spot with the Panama sunrise um, when he did that on the outside of the ring mm -hmm. and he had hardly any reaction. It was kind of, he, I think he was literally said, uh, so how do you, how do you top that? And it's like, you know, if that's the JR of old, he's going nuts. He's leading you to believe like, that's it. There's no way he's kicking out. And it might not mean so much for the fans that are there because they can't hear it, but they're the ones that have to sell it to the people that are watching at home. Yes. You know, yes. It, it's, 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 it's a combination between what's going on in the ring, what's happening with the crowd, the way they're reacting to everything and the commentary. So even if the, the crowd was truly dead at the end of the night, which they kind of seemed like they could have been. Yep. If Jim Ross was the Jim Ross of old or like at his a game at his peak, he's going nuts at that spot or he's going nuts. Anytime there's a near fall, he's going nuts. And it just seems like sometimes, especially with Tony Schiavone, like the tone is just off. Like they're trying to sell certain parts of that um, CM Punk match. And Tony Schiavone's talking about <laughs> kicking MJF in the nuts. And it's like, dude, what, what's going on here? This is a grudge match. So I didn't think the commentary was bad, but I felt like there were certain spots that I could have done a little better. Well, I mean, I thought for the sake of storytelling, I thought they were pretty good. I could see your point with Shivani, but I also think they played the part very well of pointing out how big of an asshole MJF is, and they just want his comeuppance to happen, which it eventually did. So I, I wasn't as critical on Shivani as I think you are in that regard. But I do want to point out, like, I see a lot of people talking about this. You got people across the pond that are watching this starting at midnight and kudos yeah. to those people that are watching this on the overnight. I used to work overnights and it sucks trying to stay up while trying to monitor networks or being on the radio on overnights. It's tough, you know, to watch a show for four hours, knowing you got to work the next day. Kudos to you guys. But even us in the East coast, like that show ends at midnight. And we, we complained when WWE had these massively long shows. And I understand AEW, their shows are 
you know, not as long or they're not as um, frequent, but still four hours seems a little long. You could have taken two or three matches out of this night. And I think still people would have gotten their money's worth, whether you bought a ticket or paid for the pay-per-view and no one would complain that it's too long. Honestly, it makes every fan just want to move to the West Coast where the latest the show ends is 9 p.m. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it was it was tough. And it was even for myself, it was uh, <laughs> this is why I like the shows being on a Saturday and not a Sunday. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, you, at least you got double or nothing that's happening Memorial Day weekend. So even if it's on a Sunday, the next day it's Memorial Day, you're off from work, at least for most people you are. So I, I think... I think we're going to have a, a fun show for Double or Nothing. I think, honestly, Hangman Page versus CM Punk, MJF versus Wardlow, those are the two big matches that you're going to have at the T-Mobile Arena that night. And I'd be interested to see what people think in the comments, what matches you want to see at Double or Nothing, or what matches you think are going to happen at Double or Nothing. And don't forget to share us all over social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, SCPB Podcast. Subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Cycle Babble. <laughs>